0: how's it going? Good. My name's Charlie. It's good to be here with you. I have met some of you before. And the others of you, hi, my name's Charlie. So it's great to be here with you. And uh, just a couple of things by introduction. Um, Iowa City is back here, right? Yeah. Iowa. man, there's, okay, one person's excited about being from Iowa City. Yeah, like, well, You know, I grew up in Williamsburg, Iowa, which is really close to Iowa City, and I saw a lot of Hawkeye gear tonight, just warmed my heart, so amen, God is working, right? And uh, I think this is the first time, I don't know if it's the first time, but Jared down here was my college roommate, Roommate! yeah, and so if you really want some stories, he's got them, so, uh, but I'm, I'm really excited to be here with you. Uh, IRBC, this camp, is a very special place for me. God did a great work in my life. When I was a teenager here, I was sitting somewhere like back over here, and uh, we had pews back then, and there was so many people in here, they put metal chairs in the aisle to fit everybody in. And I can still remember sitting here, and my counselor, Brandon, was sitting next to me in one of those chairs, and we start singing some of these songs, and I didn't grow up in a Christian home, I didn't grow up going to camp. It was a new thing for me, and probably the first thought in my mind was like, "What did you get yourself into?" And then they started preaching from the Bible, and I'm like, "Wow, really, what did you get yourself into?" Uh, and then God started working in my life. And I, the first time I was here, I was a sophomore in high school. I was 16, and I didn't have a clue in the world, okay. Uh, And if you would have told me then that you would be preaching at Winter Meltdown in 2020, I'd be like, you are crazy. But here we are. And so because of the significance this place has to me and knowing that God is here, that's, that's why this is a special place. It's not because of the camp in and of itself, but this is a place where God is and he is here with us and he wants to work in our hearts and our lives. And because of that, and because of how God has worked in my life here, I'm just super excited to open the Word with you. And so I'll just ask, as we are here in chapel, just give that attention, not to me. I'm not worth it, okay? But God and truth is. And so we'll be here maybe about like 25, 30 minutes tonight, okay? And I know as a teenager who literally sat right here, how easy it is just to be like, Oh, I wonder what's on my Twitter feed, or man, I wonder what this is happening, or this is happening, or, you know, guys in youth group, you're probably wondering about that girl down the row from you, and that's cool too, okay, just wait until later, okay? Right now, devote yourself here. Give your attention for 25, 30 minutes to the Word of God. Jason already mentioned, uh, we're going to walk through the book of Jonah this weekend, so if you'd go ahead and turn there. Jonah chapter 1, if you're looking for it, it's in the Minor Prophets. It's after Obadiah. Uh, some of us maybe have not turned into the Minor Prophets for a while, so if you need to, just look at the page number in the front of the Bible that, and just find it super quick. It's on page 793 of mine, but that doesn't really help you that much. But what I'd like to do is I'm going to start just by reading the first three verses. And I know that some of you may be have heard the story of Jonah before, and so you think you know what's coming, and that's fine. But uh, after we read through the first three verses, then we'll kind of just pause for a moment and just get ourselves in gear, okay? So if you're with me, this is Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1, okay? Jonah 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise! Go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, you might be thinking at this point, if you've heard the story of Jonah before, what does this have to do at all with light? Are any, any of you thinking that right now? Anyone thinking that right now? Okay, we've got one hand back there. Okay, this story isn't a story that you'd be like, let your light shine, Jonah. He was a shiny man. Let's go to Jonah. None of you would na- normally think that, would you? What is Jonah about? Okay, now I thought about doing this and. I just thought it might take a little too time, a little too much time. But there are certain Bible characters. If I mention them, you usually have an association. Okay. For example, if I say Noah, you probably think flood. If I say David, you probably think Goliath, or at least maybe you should. Okay. But usually, when you say Jonah, you don't think light. You think big fish. Okay. And maybe that's in there somewhere. We haven't gotten to a big fish yet. What we've got right here so far is we've got a man who's a prophet, a man whose job, his occupation, his life's dedication is to receive word from God. The creator of the universe speaks to him, and he as a prophet, is then supposed to listen and then tell other people. And here... He says, Jonah, I want you to go and tell these people in Nineveh that I'm going to destroy them. Their wickedness has come up before me. They have sinned, and Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Now, Israel and Nineveh are not friends. It's actually a wicked enemy. And what does Jonah do? He runs the exact opposite direction. He doesn't listen. And again, at this point, you're probably thinking, what Does this have to do with light? Now, he mentioned a phrase twice in those first three verses. Did you catch it? Where is he running from? Anybody? Yeah. From the Lord. But what does it specifically say? From the what? The presence of the Lord. Now, do you know what happens when you're in the presence of the Lord, young people? I'm going to take that as a no. Okay, let's talk about it. So, where did light come from? First verse in the Bible. God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, okay? Everything comes from him. He says, let there be light. Boom, okay? When you're in the presence of God, when you're around someone like this, it usually affects you, okay? Now, I'd like you to turn back in the Old Testament to Exodus, okay? Exodus chapter 34, and this is helping us to maybe see what this story is going to have to do with light. Exodus 34 is a story about Moses being up on Mount Sinai, receiving the law, the Ten Commandments from God. And as he's up there on that mountain, in the presence of God, something happened to him, okay? So, Exodus 34, verse 29. Now it was so, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. While he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone. So, Moses is up on the mountain, He's in the presence of God, and what happens? Literally, his face is glowing, like your shirts are going to glow tonight in the dark. Moses walked down, and he's beaming. His face is shining. Why? He's in the presence of the Lord. Now, I don't think that's why Jonah is running. I don't think Jonah's afraid that his face is going to start shining, and he's like, I don't want that. Get me out of here. Okay? I want you to turn to another passage now, okay? Turn to 2 Corinthians. The shining that we're talking about up here, let your light shine, the light of Christ shining in and through your life is not a physical light, okay? Now, Moses was in the presence of God, and and this provides a very unique illustration for us, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and let's look at verse 12. Okay? And just again, we're just explaining what does Jonah have to do with light? Okay? Chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike. Who are we talking about? Someone with some confidence. Give me some. Thank you. We're talking about Moses. You guys can, and this is a communication. You can talk back to me, okay? I might slap you later, but it's fine. It's fine. That was supposed to be a joke. You're supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> Thank you, Jared. See, he's, he's put up with this before, okay? He knows. He knows. Okay, we're talking about Moses, okay? Now, therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face... So the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. He's talking about that same story in Exodus 34. Moses comes down from being where? In the presence of God, his face is shining. And here he's going to use that as an illustration, not of physical shining, but of the change that God will produce in our hearts. Okay, so we'll keep reading. But, verse 14, their minds were blinded, for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. I think I already read. Now, verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom or liberty. And we all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So he says, just like Moses had a veil over his shining face, people have a veil over their heart, and they can't see the glory of God. But when you turn to Christ, something happens. The veil is lifted not off of your face, but off of your heart. You can see who Christ is. He starts at that moment changing who you are, not out here, but in your heart. Verse 18 again, with an unveiled face, knowing who Christ is, what does he do? He transforms me into the same image, into the same image. He makes me like Christ. He changes who I am. And as other people see Christ in my life through transformation, guess what happens? The glory of an eternal, universal God shines through your life. They see Christ as you're change to be like him. Now, what does Jonah have to do with that? And you can turn back to Jonah. To be changed into the image of Christ, to be made like him. Moses was in his presence. Second Corinthians 3 and 4, it's his spirit within our hearts that we yield to, and it does that change. It's the presence of God in our lives that makes the light. Jonah gets word from God to go and preach the word, and where does he run? Away from the presence of God. In fact, he's not a very shiny man. He's a very dark man. The man that you would expect to be obedient, love the Lord, love the word, want to go and tell people about God runs from the presence of God, wants nothing to do with that light. And as Jason said earlier, man, does that sound familiar? Absolutely it does. I do it all the time. Do it almost every day if I myself on autopilot but we won't get into that for now we'll just keep going so that's what we're looking at here what does jonah have to do with light when we run from the presence of god there's no light being produced and what this whole story is about here in jonah and you can look in your notes is god's big idea in this story about jonah is his big idea just about a big fish the answer is no It's going to come down to this question. When you run from the presence of God, there's no light at work in your life, no light being produced. You're turning away from God. You're in sin. You don't want anything to do with him. What should you do? (laughs) What should Jonah do? What are many people in this story going to do? They need to repent. Okay? And you can see, there's a, two questions there. Is God's big idea a big fish? No, it's repentance. It's when I'm running away from his presence, how do I get back? And the answer is repentance. Second question, what is repentance? That word in scripture means to change my mind. In our vernacular, maybe to turn around, okay? One of my favorite stories to tell is about repentance and has a lot to do with Iowa and Iowa State, okay? Now, I know by just saying that, I've already polarized this room. I had a friend in my previous ministry as I was a pastor in a church, and he was on his way to Ames, which is where that one school that shall not be named resides, right? That's where Iowa State's at. I'm a Hawkeye fan, so I, you know, got to get some jabs in. Now, he's on his way to Ames, and he's upset, He's in sin. He's planning to do some wretched things that weekend. And for whatever reason at that moment, he decided to call his pastor. So I get this phone call. Hey, how's it going? Not good. Okay, we start talking. Where are you heading? Well, I'm going up to Ames. I'm going to meet up with these people, and this is what I'm going to do. And when you get a a call like that as a pastor, you know, It's kind of like, oh boy, (laughs) it's game time, okay? And as we talked on the phone, God worked through his word, opened that young man's eyes, and he came to the conclusion, I need to turn around. He recognized the way he was going was wrong. I don't want to go there anymore. I want to go back that way. I said, hey, what are you going to do about it? I'm going to turn around and come home. That's a great picture of repentance. You're fleeing the presence of God. You're planning to do what you know you're not supposed to do, what God would never want you to do. And God opens your eyes. And what is repentance? It's recognizing I'm going the wrong way, stopping, turning around, and going home. And as I already said, I lived in Williamsburg. So for that young man, what was it? I'm not going to Ames anymore. I'm coming back home, which is, for the sake of the story, to Iowa City. I hear hear that, amen, Jared, thank you. But that is what repentance is. And this whole story of Jonah is really a study in repentance. It's the prophet running away, and is he going to turn around? There are other people in this story that don't know God at all. And when they hear the word of God, are they going to repent? Are they going to turn around? Are they going to go back to the presence of God? Is there going to be any light produced in these people's lives? That's the question we're going to answer in the book of Jonah. And tonight, our story focuses not really on Jonah at all, but it's going to focus on some sailors, okay? As we already read, Jonah gets the word. What does he do? Runs from the presence of God, goes down to Joppa, gets on a ship going the opposite way from Nineveh, and he goes down into the bottom of the boat, and he thinks he's fine, okay? Now, point one in your outline, the heavenly hurl. Now, I don't know if you have the same translation as me, but mine says, but God sent a great wind on the sea when you gloss that word in the Hebrew dictionary. The first word that pops up, hurled. Now, when I hear the word hurl, what are you thinking about? I'm not thinking about puking. Are you thinking about puking? Yeah, okay, I'm thinking about puking too. Okay, hurled. That's the idea. God just violently throws. Like, you ever get to that point where you think something's going to, and you just out of nowhere? Okay, that's the idea here. It's okay, you can laugh. It's supposed to be funny. That's the idea here. In fact, in the original language, the author wants you to see this. The way it's constructed, the but Lord, is the author focusing your attention down. He wanted you to see this. Jonah's running. Get me out of here. No light, please. I like that darkness. And God violently throws at that ship on the sea a great storm. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid. This is verse 5 in Jonah. The mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God. Now you notice something right there. They don't believe in Jehovah, the God of Israel. Everyone's calling out to their God. These are pagans. They have no clue. They don't know that there's one God. They're crying out to the God of the sea, the God of the air, like, their God, help us. And of course, what do we know is true? Those gods don't exist. Nothing's going to happen. But they're trying. It's funny that the prophet's running and hiding in the bottom of the boat and the sailor's first inclination is, let's ask our gods. (laughs) I think... Everyone kind of has that reaction when they're about to die. Okay, let's keep going. They cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. And again, there's an emphasis here in the original to focus down. But the Lord hurled, but Jonah had gone down into the lower parts of the ship, had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? arise, call on your God. Now, it might be a little tricky for Jonah to call on his God at this point, right? Since he's in very gross disobedience, like, no, I'm actually not on good terms with that guy. It's funny that the captain says, cry out to your God, Jonah, and then nothing else is recorded right there. The story just keeps going. It's almost like Jonah is in this, like, sleepy stupor, and it's like, hey, cry cry out to your God. He's like, uh, what? It's like, here's the prophet. Shouldn't this be the one guy that gets it? Call to your God. He's silent, okay? The story keeps going. So, verse 7 they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. They said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your job? Where are you from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. Now, I have to, I have to dramatize this, because it's hilarious. It's hilarious. Does someone who fears the Lord run from him, disobey him? No. The fear of the Lord is reverence, it's respect, it's obedience, it's holiness. And they're like, hey, tell us who you are. And I can just hear Jonah be like, yes, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. Yes, I fear him. No, you don't. You've gone the wrong way. You've fled, running away from his presence. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea. Now, that's important, isn't it? You're in a boat that's about to sink. And it's like, hey, I know the God who made the sea. I can fix this problem, maybe. But he's running. Verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord. There's that phrase again. Because he had told them, hold up, you want to talk about a bad testimony? (laughs) Yes, I'm a Hebrew, I'm a prophet, I fear the Lord, but here's the deal, I'm actually running from him, okay? Yes, I know the God who made the sea, but I'm trying to get away. Does that not sound weird to you? Is that not awkward? Absolutely, it's awkward. You would expect a prophet to be the man who's bold in the truth, who has conviction, who's going to do what God wants, and here he is doing everything wrong. He needs to turn around. He needs to repent. He's not quite ready yet. Okay? Jump down to verse 12, or excuse me, verse 11. They said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us, for the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Now he's just being stupid. Jonah's a prophet, and he knows something about God, and he's going to tell us what he knows later on in the book. We're not going to let the cat out of the bag, but what he knows is the character of God. And Jonah knows, to fix this problem, all I have to do is repent. Recognize the way I'm going is wrong. I've sinned. And if I turn back to God and say, God, I was wrong, will you forgive me? What will God always do? Because of God's glorious holy character, he will always say, yes, I forgive you. I love you. I forgive you. Come on back. Jonah knows that. And instead of repenting, what does Jonah decide? I'd rather die than repent. What should should we do to you, Jonah? Jonah. Jonah, all you have to do is, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me, spare these people. And God would. Jonah says, throw me overboard, I'm done, and you'll be fine, but yeah, I'm out of here. Just toss me over. He's being stupid. He doesn't want to humble himself, he doesn't want to repent, okay? Let's keep reading. Verse 12, he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea, then the sea will be calm before you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, verse 13, the men rowed hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. So if you were in that boat, you're trying as hard as you can. What do you do? Well, the sinking sailors decide, toss the prophet, okay? Verse 14, therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. Do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. Now, something very interesting just happened there. You remember when the captain's in the bottom of the boat, says, hey, what are you doing, sleeper? Wake up and cry out to your God, and no response. And these sailors say, what should we do to you? Throw me overboard. And they're like, no, we're going to get us to shore. We're not going to kill you. And they try and they try and they try. And they get to the point where they realize they can't do it. And what do they do? The pagans, the ones who earlier were calling out on all these other gods, what do they do? They turn to the Lord. They cry out, Lord, please don't. Guilt us for this. Don't harm us. We're doing what we have to do. This is what the prophet wants us to do. Please don't count this against us. This is incredibly weird. You have a boat full of men who've never talked to the Lord, and you have a prophet. And one will not repent, and these other ones are ready to repent. Surprise, surprise, they throw Jonah overboard. What happens? Verse 15, they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. That would have been a really cool moment to be on that boat. And most people at that moment would be like, I can't believe I lived. (laughs) Wow! You know, if they had cell phones, they'd be trying to get to a spot where they could get some reception, call their wife and their kids, like, I can't believe it, right? Wow! You're never going to believe this story! That's actually not what they would have done. (laughs) It's maybe what I would have done, what most people would have done. Look what it says they did. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Do you remember when they said, hey, Jonah, what do you do? He said, I'm a prophet, I'm from Israel, and I fear the Lord. But the story's made it very evident so far that he doesn't fear the Lord, right? Right? Someone who fears the Lord, who respects him, when they recognize their sin, they humble themselves and repent. Here's the prophet who's too proud to repent. He's running. He doesn't fear the Lord. And here's this group of sailors. You know that sailors are known for being very rough people? Have you heard someone say, like, you're speaking like a sailor? because they're known for being very dark, sinful people. And what do these people do? They repent. Now, you look at the testimonies of these people, where's the light? I look at the sailors in this chapter here. You see the glory of God working in their lives. People who you would probably meet, And you'd think, wow, that guy can't know the Lord. But what do they do? They cry out to God. They speak with him. They ask for his forgiveness. They ask for his blessing. And at the end of the story, the men fear the Lord and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. You know how hard it would be to offer a sacrifice on a boat that had just gone through a storm like this? Everything was wet. Everything is doused. How are you going to kill an animal and offer it, like, as a burnt offering? Which, by the way, they don't really know anything about this because they're pagan. But they're like, we need to respect this guy because he just saved our lives. It's a brilliant display of light. And where did it start? Instead of turning away from the presence of God... Instead of fleeing from his presence, they turn right to him. God, help us. God, forgive us. Don't hold this against us. And when he saved them, God, you're awesome. We love you. The story here is about repentance. And what the author of Jonah wants you to see in chapter 1, which, by the way, most people, when they think of Jonah, think about big fish. So far, what we've seen in this story is a really good response and a really bad response. We've seen a prophet who you would expect to be humble and repentant, to own his sin, to obey the Lord. And his answer was, I'd rather die than repent. I'd rather die than turn back to him. And here's these group of sailors who when given the opportunity, they run to the Lord. God, help us. God, thank you. They offer sacrifices. In the last words there of verse 14, excuse me, 16. It's a little dark up here. They make vows. <laughs> We're in resolution season, right? 2020, baby. Everyone's going to lose 50 pounds, grow three feet, become a professional. Oh, no, maybe not those ones. Everyone likes to lose 50 pounds. That's usually where they start. Everyone's making decisions like, I'm going to do this this year. That's kind of what a vow is. And these guys are making vows, but it has nothing to do about their weight. It's about light. God, we want to honor you for what you've given us, for saving our lives. God, we see who you are. We want to give our worship to you. They're deciding on that boat. My life is for you, Lord. It's awesome. It's awesome all started with them instead of turning away, turning to. Now, I know it's been a short time in the word tonight, okay? And we're going to come back to these themes every chapel. You're going to hear about repentance so much, you're probably never going to want to hear about it again. I hope not, but maybe you will. What I'd like you to think about as we close this time off, look at your own heart. Now, I'm not talking about things you've done. I'm not talking about, I did this, I didn't do this that I knew I should have done. I'm talking about emotions, attitudes, what's going on inside of you, in your spiritual man. Things that no one else sees, what you're thinking about, maybe even right now. Think about your tendencies within. When maybe you go to the Word of God, what happens within you? Are you like the sailors? You just leap at the chance to turn to the Lord for help. Oh man, I want to read that Bible today. I want to hear from the Lord. Or within is your tendency to flee the presence. You know, you think about opportunities to let your light shine. I'm not talking about what you do. I'm talking about When you have opportunities to share. Hey, has God given you a verse this week? And that's like the question that's asked in every youth group that's always like crickets going in the background. Anyone have a blessing this week? 20 minutes later. Okay, no one has a blessing this week. Okay. When you have an opportunity to share about what God's doing in your life, what's the tendency within you? Flee the presence, hide, get me out of here. Like the sailors. Man, God's great. I want to make decisions to live for Him. Look what He's done for me. That all starts with what's going on within and making that turn. The turn that Jonah made took him away, the turn that the sailors made took them towards, into the presence. And I just want you to start thinking about now, at the beginning of a weekend, just how does that look in my own heart? Do I naturally, normally, frequently turn away or towards? Is my life a picture of repentance or not? And uh, I'm going to close in prayer now. And as I do that, I will just ask, please don't listen to me pray. Uh, pray yourself, not out loud, because that'd be weird, Okay. But as I pray out loud, just ask that you'd pray silently and just talk to the Lord about that. Thinking about this story tonight, what are my tendencies within my own heart? And if there's something you need to talk to the Lord about, he's waiting and he wants you to talk to him. So please do that as I close us in prayer right now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. And Father, I thank you for the testimony that's written in the book of Jonah. And uh, Father... As we look at that first chapter tonight, and we see Jonah running, we see the sailors turning to you, fearing you, God, it's evident so, so much in my own heart, even today, the times that my heart has fled, that I wanted nothing to do with your presence, and as a result, there's no light in my life, <laughs> there's no change, there's no Christ-likeness, it's, it's me. But God, I'm confident and I know that if we're willing to turn to you like those sailors did, we're willing to turn to you and spend time and fellowship with you, you'll do a work within. You'll produce the fervency, the joy, and the commitment, the resolve that we saw at the end of chapter one with those sailors. We will have joy in deciding to live for you. We'll want to serve you if we turn to you and turn into your presence. So Father, as these young people are praying, and I trust that your spirit has brought things to mind, I just ask that they, in the quietness of their hearts, would understand the simplicity and the need for repentance. God, help us uh, the rest of tonight to have fun as we fellowship with one another. I pray as we continue throughout the weekend to think about ideas of repentance that you would do a great work in our hearts. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for your son. And it's in his precious name we pray these things.